Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the book of Jonah and the message that it is for us. Lord, we do absolutely need you as individuals and as a church and as a community. So pray, Holy Spirit, you just open our eyes to your word this morning, encourage us with this, and Lord, help us to follow your directions and give us the grace that we need. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Jonah has been restored back to the path and the calling of God to him, which is why we should just say yes to God. Just say yes to God when he uh, says something to you and asks you to do something. Psalms 14 says, the fool has says in his heart, no to God. Jonah was has been playing and been the fool up to this point and he still struggles. We'll see the rest of the book. But Jonah chapter 3 is where he has been spit up by the fish. He hears again the second time from God and he kind of gets a break. I mean, breaks are good. Breaks are uh, great blessings. Time off is good. A change of schedule is crucial for everybody. God designed it that way. He designed life to, to be that way, that we work, and then we take a day, a break, and then we restore ourselves spiritually, and we work, and we need breaks. And Labor Day weekend is a great opportunity for most of us to get a day off and to get a break. It's a time to restore. I don't know if you watched much of the Olympics at all, but one of the big things of the Olympics this year was during the swimming and even the track and field. If you looked at uh, some of the athletes, they had these purple round marks on their backs. Did you see this? Uh, Everybody was wondering, what's those purple marks all over their backs? And athletes, they they all are now, a lot of them are doing this thing called cupping, where they put these cups, it's a Chinese thing, they put these cups on the back of, uh, on their backs where they are, their joints, their muscles. It sucks the blood up and it helps restore for then their energy, or if there's an injury, it restores things faster for them. They, they put all these cups all over, it leaves these marks. And this morning, from Jonah chapter 3, that, that's what I wanted this passage, this message to do for us as individuals, 
and for a church. We need to be restored. We need some break. And maybe this week you've had a tough week. Maybe it's been tough being a light in a very dark place where you work. Or maybe it's been tough bearing the burdens of your own or other people's that you've talked to this week. Or maybe you've just been blasted by anger and negativity um, all week. Or maybe you've just been busy, 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 and you're like, I just can't wait to get to Labor Day week and I'll get a day off. I need, to, I need a break. I need to restore. And that's what this, I think Jonah chapter 3 can do for us um, this morning. So I'm just going to take three words, which three cups, come on, cup them together, and I'm going to hopefully they will refresh us. And they are reverberation, repentance, and rest. Reverberation, repentance, and rest, rest. And I think if we take these three realities and use them, they will do that for us. They will help us to be restored. The first one is reverberation, which is a prolonged sound or means a continuing effect. In Jonah chapter 3, God comes to Jonah a second time. It says in verse 1 that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And then in verse 6, after Jonah did what God said and told him to do, he left He went to Nineveh, a 900-mile hike from where Jonah was to where Nineveh was. And God came to him a second time. The word of the Lord came to him a second time, basically saying the same thing that God said the first time. But the the word then reached the king of Nineveh, which is amazing in itself. And it just reverberated all through Nineveh. Nineveh was an unbelievably great city. Back in Genesis, Nimrod in Genesis was, went, was, the Bible says, left. And not a good guy, Nimrod was. And he was the one that helped start the city of Nineveh. Nineveh is a massive city. It actually is located right now where Mosul, Iraq is, which we hear about all the time uh, in the news. That's where, uh, very close to Mosul, is where the city of Nineveh back in the day actually was. It was a massive city. The Bible says all through this passage, Nineveh is this great city, this great city. Jonah, go to this great city which literally translated in Hebrew means a great city to God. God found Nineveh. We don't know why. For some reason, this great city was very important and great to God. It was absolutely huge. And so Jonah hears from God the second time, which God does not always guarantee us that he'll call us the second time. But God often gives us second chances often allows us, again, to go back and do what God has called us to do. They went to the city of, uh, so Jonah says yes to God this time. He goes to Nineveh. He hikes the 900 miles. After coming out of an unbelievable experience, he gets there. He walks into this huge, massive city, which was very important to Assyria. It necessarily wasn't the capital, but it was one of the key cities of Assyria and the empire back then. And it says that it was a three days journey. Well, it is... There's many ways we could take that. It is a ma- it clearly was a massive big city. It was clearly an important city. But it doesn't necessarily mean that Jonah walked three days in and he had to walk another two days to get through this whole massive city in circumference. Jonah, Nineveh was a very important city. And a person coming into a city like that as a prophet 
would have been coming in like a diplomat. And to get to the people that you need to talk to for the message that Jonah had to share, usually when there was an important political or a message from a prophet to come in, it was a two-day, a three-day event to get to that, to have that happen in Nineveh. The person would come in, they would get settled in the city, they would find out who the people they're supposed to meet, those people would then take the message to the next people they were supposed to meet, and then you would finally get to the person you were supposed to meet, and then the next day you'd give the message, and it was like a three-day event to get this type of important message out. But Jonah went into Nineveh. In one day, he shares the message that God had told him that, hey, Nineveh, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. And he got to the right people instantly. And one day, it made it all the way to the king of Nineveh. It says in verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh, which was no small event. Some guy walking into the United States of America saying that, and I'm sure he said more than that, it was probably just a summary of what he said, wouldn't instantly get to the president of the United States where they would take it this seriously. But Jonah's words reverberated all through Nineveh. The message that God had told him to say. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. Reverberation's a good thing for us as Christians. God has called a lot of us and all of us to be for, living for his glory and to share the gospel with people, and particularly for us along the Route 34 corridor and where you work. And how's that going? What's the reverberation of your life saying? Someone wrote this about the book of Jonah back in 1918. It says, that The thought which looms up to me in Jonah is the thought which is impressed by the whole word of God. It is that here we have good news. Good news for sinful people. That God loves them. That God thinks of them when they do not think of him. That God uses men to save them. That God uses men to save other men. That he, was, that he uses Im, imperfect men. Men who are timid and afraid. That God does not cast off those who fail. That he tries them a second time. Sometimes a third or fourth time. That God is able to give them the training they need even when it involves most singular and perilous situations. That when men are trained and deliver their message, God gives it, gives it power. That one man working with God may in a few days' time save hundreds of thousands of people through hundreds of years. That's the ver reverberation of the power of God's word spoken by imperfect, weak people like us who are willing to say yes to God and go and do what God's called them to do. We are called to obey when God speaks. And then God does the work. Jonah didn't know it was going to take place here. We're not even fully convinced that he was completely excited about going to Nineveh. We, we don't know that. It doesn't seem like he was all there yet, but God said, Jonah, I'm going to give you a second time. And Jonah said, yes, I'll go this time. He goes, he speaks, his words reverberate. Really, God opens up people's minds to hear 
the message, and the king hears it. It reverberates all through this massive great city that was absolutely filled with wickedness. Nobody would have said that the God would care for these people. Nobody would have thought that. Nobody would have looked at this and said, oh, these people will turn. These people will follow God. And you might look that way at your workplace. You might walk in and say, man, I've been working with these people for 20 years, and it doesn't seem like anybody cares about God around here. There's no way that my friend's ever going to come to the gospel. He says so many negative things about Christianity. There's there's no way he's going to believe this. But God calls us to go and to speak and to let our words reverberate because God's the one that does the work to open up people's eyes. It was not Jonah. It was God. But it was his words that needed to be spoken and reverberate through. You just never know what God's going to do. There's a man named Luke Short in the 1800s who was 103 years old, living in New England. And he was unbelievably healthy and strong. And he's walking around his fields in New England one day, thinking, but he had no peace with God. He, his life was not right. He knew it. He's walking through his fields in New England at 103 and thinking about life and why things aren't the way he feels they should be. And all of a sudden, He remembered a message preached by John Flavel 85 years ago when he was a child in England before they took the boat ride over here. And in his fields, at 103 years old, he remembered the message, he remembered the words, he confesses his sin, he repents and accepts Christ. And on his gravestone, when he died at 106, it says this, Here lies a babe in grace, aged three years who died according to nature, aged 106. And Luke Short, true story, 85 years later after he heard the gospel, it reverberated through time and it came back to him and God used that to wake him up to the gospel. You never know what your words may do. Or how God may use them. But we are called to use them. And it may be a Labor Day weekend. And you got a day off of work. And you may be think you need to maybe pause and say, listen, taking some stock in my life and say, how's my reverberation going at work? How am I doing? Maybe some of you are just have rattled a lot and talked a lot about the gospel and Maybe talk to too many people, but your life doesn't show it by how you work at your workplace. And so people hear that you're all about God, but then they watch your life and they're like, those two things don't really match up too well. Or maybe some of you live unbelievably great lives at work. You you follow the gospel, you work well, you're unbelievably disciplined. Nobody can find fault with your work, but you've never opened your mouth. To say, hey, the reason I work this way, the reason I am this way, is because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I'm looking for opportunities to share the gospel. I have heard from three people who have told me that they've worked at a place for years across from somebody, and the guy across from them that they worked with for years, one day goes home, over the weekend he becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, becomes a Christian, he's all excited, the next day uh, goes back to work and says, hey, guess what happened to me this weekend? I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I became a Christian. And they're telling another Christian. And the guy says, oh, that's great. I'm a Christian too. And the guy that just became a Christian after working for years has said to them, three times people have told me this, I didn't know you were a Christian. 
How is that possible? How is it possible that we can be at a workplace, be Christians, and never be looking for open doors where we are going to use our words to let them reverberate? Just speak them when God gives us. And let the Holy Spirit use them. He causes us to speak. So maybe if you've been rattling and your life hasn't been evidencing, maybe the pause you need to take is, how am I going to get those two things to match up again? And maybe if you have been working and demonstrating but not speaking, maybe you need to say, God, help me see the open doors and open up so that my words and your word will reverberate in such a way that will go beyond what I could possibly imagine. And it's hard. And it can be very difficult. It was very difficult for Jonah to do this, but William Cowper in his great hymn, that his purposes, God's purposes, will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. God wants to use us, and he gives us second chances to do it. So as you evaluate your words and your life, what would be the reverberation that's taking place? What are people getting from that? And have you taken advantage of the opportunities to share the gospel, to speak, and to say, God, I'm going to do it, I'm going to obey, and I'm going to let you take it wherever you want to take it. So if you close it down, you close it down. But I don't know. But I'm still going to obey, and I'm still going to follow you. Because the city of Nineveh was in unbelievable trouble. Vincent van Gogh had a, a, a painting that he did towards the end of his life where he, he, just a few months before he actually, they believe, committed suicide called At Eternity's Gate. It's a picture of an old man with his, sitting next to a fire with his hands on his head. Just, it's called, he, he's thinking about life and that it's coming to the end and there really is no hope for happiness for this old man. And Van Gogh himself never found it. And that was the situation for the people of Nineveh. They're active, they're busy, they were doing all kinds of things as a city trying to find satisfaction. But as someone said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. But the city of Nineveh was not looking for that rest. They they weren't looking for good news. They thought they had it. They were filled with wickedness, but that what they needed to do was repent. And when the word reverberated through and it reached the king, instantly one of the most amazing passages of Scripture is Jonah chapter 3, verse 5, that says, And the people of Nineveh believed God. The, The people of Nineveh. They were against God. They had nothing to do with God. They didn't even believe he existed. It wasn't even one of the gods that they followed. They heard one guy say, hey, in 40 days you're going to get destroyed. And then it says, the people of Nineveh, the whole city, believes God. That's a miracle that only God could do. But it came through repentance. And they repented. And it says, the king stood up. They went and put sackcloth, on, sackcloth and ashes on themselves. They weren't supposed to eat anything. They changed their ways. He said, stop doing your evil things. Turn. And repentance is not just for the city of Nineveh. It is for all of us. Repentance is essential to a right relationship with God. 
The reason God sent Jonah to Nineveh was because the people weren't in right relationship with God. And repentance is essential to be in a right relationship with God. Repentance is a change of mind that crushes pride and leads to a change of life direction. It's a change of mind is what repentance means. You're going one way and you repent. And it is sorrowful. It hurts to repent. Because it crushes our pride thinking we're going the right way. And it's a turn that leads to a different life direction. That's what repentance is. When I'm driving around and I got my TomTom going, uh, which I still use. uh, It's outdated. But when it tells me to go a certain direction... And if I think that I know where I'm going and it doesn't like the way I'm going, it keeps making annoying sounds to me. You know, uh, turn around, you know, redirect yourself, redirect yourself, recalculating, recalculating. And I don't, if I know where I'm going, I don't listen to Tom Tom. And I don't, I just start getting mad at Tom Tom and telling it to shut up. I know where I'm going and I'm talking to this thing. But when I'm totally lost and I totally don't know where I'm going, then I repent of my pride, and I listen to the machine, as painful it is, and I go the direction that it tells me to go. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. That's what happened in the city of Nineveh. There was a genuine repentance. Repentance is essential to be in a right relationship with God. Repentance is a total surrender to a sovereign Lord. Repentance is opens us up. This is the most important part for Repentance Repentance opens us up for a more of a capacity to receive the love of God, which is what Nineveh got. They were going their own way. They were not looking for God. Nobody looks for God. But God came to them. And he said, listen, if you, follow, if you repent, if you turn from the direction that you're going and follow me, I'm not going to wipe you out. I won't destroy you. And if you're not getting wiped out, and if you're not getting destroyed, well, that's grace, and that's mercy, and then you have freedom, and then you have life, and then you have joy, which is all the things that God desires for us. Repentance is not a bad thing. Repentance is an amazing gift from us, from God. It, it opens our capacity to receive more of the love of God, because we naturally to ourselves want to be selfish. And God says, listen, don't do that. Follow my way. And the more you see how much I love you, and the more you just keep repenting and turning to my way when I say, hey, that needs to change in your life, that needs to change in your life, if you, you see repentance as a good thing, you're going to see it's only so that you can have more of God, more joy, more freedom, more life. And it's why it needs to happen as a daily practice. And repentance deals with particular sins. The king of Nineveh said, repent of your acts of violence. Repent of your particular sins as well. Listen, all of us, the Bible says, need to repent of sin. We need to see that our way leads us away from God. And we need to turn, humble ourselves, and go God's direction. But then we need to continually, daily repent, even as Christians. It's not a one-time thing. It's a continual repentance of sin. And there is a true repentance, and there is a false repentance. 2 Corinthians 7, verses 10 through 11, show the difference between a right repentance or a false repentance. And it says... In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, 
Whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. Listen, it's, there's a difference between regret and repentance. It's easy to make people regret things. And we can easily regret some of our actions. But repentance is saying, you know what? I don't want to go that direction anymore. So I'm going to build up fears in my life so that I will be stopped from going that way. I, I, I hate that thing. I want to hate that thing. I want to clear myself. I don't want to put myself in any situation so that anybody thinks I'm doing that anymore. That's genuine repentance. And if you haven't come to that point personally with your relationship with God or even as a Christian, when God says, hey, stop doing that, change, change, and you just feel bad about it, but you don't genuinely repent and turn from it, you're not going to be very refreshed very often. You're always going to be struggling. We need to be restored, and the way we are restored is through repentance. How's your repentance? Do you sense and see yourself being drawn more to the love of God? Or do you see your sin and you you just stay with it? Or you just feel bad about it? But you don't just feel like it's the love of God that's drawn me. It's the love of God that compels us to repentance. Because more of God, when we see that, brings us more freedom, more joy, more life. That's That's what Nineveh got. If they didn't turn and follow God, they were going to get wiped out. But God says, repent, and they did. So much so that Matthew 12, 41 says, Jesus said, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with, with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And the something greater than Jonah is Jesus. Listen, God may be saying to you, you need to reverberate more. I'm calling you to do something. You keep telling me no. Stop saying no to me. Or God may be saying to you, hey, hey, that needs to change in your life. That needs to change. Repent. Turn from that. And you may feel bad about it. You may try to stop it. But you haven't genuinely repented of it. And the rest that you need this morning is to repent. It's like, I don't want this anymore. Take it completely out of my life. I want more of you. I want the love of God to flow in me. I want more of that to take place. That's repentance and following that light continually because the hope of it all, the rest of it all, is is Jesus. Because it says in verse 9, after all this reverberation, after this great massive revival of repentance, people turning from their way To God's way. The king says in verse 9, Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. He says, who knows? Which is very hopeful, actually. Because Jonah's message was, listen, turn, or in 40 days you're going to repent. And really, probably who knows how he preached it if he preached it with enthusiasm or not. But we don't know if they said, hey, and if you do, you'll be saved. Something good's 
going to happen. But the king says, who knows? Who knows that God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger? We don't know what God's going to do. You don't know what God's going to do in your life. Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. We don't know. But what we do know is that God loves us so much that he sent Jesus for us to rescue us from our sins. That God would love people who had no desire for them. That he came to us, just like he came to the people of Nineveh, to rescue them. And we may be working really hard trying to restore all these relationships in our lives, all the problems, trying to fix everything. And we can't find any rest because we think, i got to do this. i got to try to impress God. i got to try to prove myself to God. And God says, no, you can't do any of that. You, you can't do it. You wouldn't even want me if I didn't come to you. But I came to you. And I love you. I love you and I want you to be in a right relationship with me. So turn, repent, follow me, and rest in me. Football started this week. And I was looking at a video from the Big Ten Network, which is what we're in. And they were showing a post of a video this week from last year. Voted the best non-conference game of 2015 was Michigan State against Notre Dame. And it was the clip was it was overtime, no time left. Noted, um, Michigan State had one last chance. They were down twenty eight to thirty one. Notre Dame had a chance to win it. The kicker was out. He had a forty six yard field goal to make. And the video has the zooming in around the kicker for Michigan State. He looked nervous, and the announcer says. Kicker's name was Don Conroy. The announcer says, well, it's all on his leg. So thousands of people are in the stadium. Michigan State's got one last chance. It's all on Dan Conroy's leg to win the game for him. If he makes it, it's tied and they go to another overtime. He walks out there. It's a 46-yard field goal. They hike it. The holder gets it, picks it up, runs, passes it, touchdown for Michigan State. It was a trick play. Michigan State won the game in overtime. It was not on Dan Conroy's leg. It was not on his leg. Everybody thought it was on his leg. The whole stadium thought it was on him. But the truth is, Dan Conroy went out there in complete rest. Because he knew that he was not going to kick that ball. All he had to do was stand out there and follow through and do what he was supposed to do and act like he was going to kick the ball and it was going to be taken care of. It's not on us. It is on Jesus Christ for us. That's where your rest comes from. It is not about what you do to earn your right with God. It's not about what you do to try to fight and to try to prove to God. The Bible says that because of what Jesus Christ did for you, it was all on Jesus' legs and his arms and his body. That he went to the cross for us, was crucified, died for us, so that it wasn't on us. We can rest in the hope of the gospel. Brian Kelly from Notre Dame, the coach, after that kick, they put the camera on him. 
and he looked stunned. Didn't know what to do. Absolutely stunned. And when Satan saw Jesus rise from the game, I imagine it was the same look. Absolutely stunned. I thought I killed him. I thought there was no more hope. I thought I won. And God says, no, it was never on the people's legs. I always was in control. I conquered you. I can give rest for people that need it. I can bring repentance. And I can let my words reverberate for those who will follow me and just say yes to God. And that's what Jonah did. So as you go through Labor Day this weekend and tomorrow, take a break. Evaluate your life. Do you need to reverberate more? Do you need to repent? Or do you just need to rest more in Jesus? Because it was all on him, which is our hope, which will give us great joy. Understand it is my song and I sing my heart.